0: Like like that doesn't look like a Mother's Day story to me. <coughs> you'd be right uh, it's not not really a Mother's Day story. Uh, but happy Mother's Day anyway. Uh, so <coughs> uh, thank you. moms uh, we should all pay attention to moms and the way they uh, sacrificed for us. goes uh, unappreciated many times. Not because we mean to overlook your efforts, but just because we do. Uh, I'm not making excuses, but <clears throat> so thank you. I'm not really gonna. Uh, so I'm gonna speak to all of us, not just moms. But I believe that I believe there's sort of something here today for moms as well. Uh, <clears throat> if I were to, if I were to ask you, moms, if you would just tell us a story about your kids. Uh, or if we were to ask moms, tell a story about our children, I think, especially a, a good story, right? I think most moms, if I think about my mom, even the the, the frustration I caused her, like if she were to tell a really good story, I, now the, she'd have to do some thinking to come up with one, but <laughs> if she were to tell a really good story about her sons, she would probably start to get a little emotional, and some point during the story as she's recounting it, she would probably, you know, touch her heart. not sure, but why do we do that? Even even for all of us sitting here today, if I were to ask you, right, to to point to yourself, where would you point? Probably wouldn't point to your head. You'd probably point to your chest, where your heart is, right? It's it's just how we think of ourselves. This is who I am, right? This, This is me. This is... This is where I am today. And, and that I, so that's what I'm talking about. The, the most, what matters most is our hearts. Uh, and in the context of that today, we're going to look at storms, fears, and other things as well. But we, we cross our hearts, right? And ho- hope not to die. <laughs> or we, we say we will if we're lying, right? We, um, we tell our employees, we, or we don't tell our employees to put their whole leg into their work. <laughs> we, we know that it's best if they put their heart into their work. We don't tell athletes to bring your spleen to the game tomorrow. <laughs> no, we tell them to bring their heart to the game tomorrow, right? And that, Because that's, that's where everything kind of comes from, right? I mean, Scripture tells us that. The power of the heart is, a, is an amazing thing. It's a, it's a reality in our lives that we know this to be true. It's what we give. Because if I want you to know Gary, if I want you to really know Gary, then you have to know Gary's heart. Just like I, in order to really know you, I need to really understand your heart. Right? It's not rocket science. It's not a trick question. The Bible understands that the, the heart, the, the meaning of the heart in the scriptures Right? Is this the core of who we are, of what we believe. It's it's our identity is our heart. Proverbs four twenty three, I think I have that scripture, above all else. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows out of this this core, this core of who you are. It's not the muscle. Although the muscle's important. It's, it's not important like this your heart is not your feelings right your heart is the fundamental spirit or will of who you are that determines what you feel your thoughts how you what you entertain or reject in life your heart is this core set of convictions this core set of principles motivations that determine that determine whether you're listening right now or not it comes out of your heart The heart is who we are. Andy Stanley, a well-known pastor and uh, writer, he wrote this in one of his books. We live, parent, lead, relate, romance, confront, react, respond, instruct, manage, problem solve, and love from the heart. Our hearts impact the intensity of our communication. Our hearts have the potential to exaggerate our sensitivities or our insensitivities. Every arena, every arena of life intersects with what's going on in our hearts. Everything passes through our heart on the way to wherever it's going. Everything. It's no wonder that since creation, God has been seeking to to tame or to conquer the human heart, to direct, to lead the human heart. His approach from the very beginning of of his efforts to capture the human heart have all, it began and it continues to be love. Love is God's way of leading the human heart. In the beginning, it was just him and us, right? What else could there be? Why wouldn't we love him? But yet, we chose more. We turned away, only to find that we can't live the way we wanted, right? We can't live the way we actually want. I mean, we need something other than more, because more doesn't get it. We keep trying to more, and it doesn't satisfy. All this is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Which is why the Bible tells us early on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God knows what it takes For us, it's going to take time for us to discover that our heart is vital to living the life that we were created to live. We have to guard our heart. We have to, to, in order to love the Lord with all our heart, right? You were created to glorify God. Each of you were created to glorify God here in this place, in this world. And that requires you making choices and decisions that come out of a heart directed towards God, right? That's how we have to do it. Our hearts are going to determine how we behave, and so in order for our lives to glorify God, our choices have to come out of a heart that wants to glorify God. So our hearts have to be rooted in the things of God, right? Otherwise, what are they going to be rooted in? The things of this world, right? The things that are temporary. That's the problem. For many, our hearts aren't rooted in the right things. Instead of being rooted in the things of God, they're tuned to the things of this world. That's because, that's because God's not the only one who's after your heart. God's not the only one. That we actually have an enemy. We actually, we, we saw him on full display here in this passage that we just, we saw on screen. God's not the only one after your heart. We might think that that our our spiritual problem is just one of focus and dedication. And that, for some of us, that's probably right. We do have a problem with focus and dedication. But our real problem, our real problem is is that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And that's what we need to remember. It's not just a lack of. It's it's someone that is working against us here. Scripture is very clear on this regard. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 be alert and sober minded your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible uses these very graphic images of what Satan, the enemy of God, is doing in this world. Very graphic. It's not an abstract, right? These are these are warlike images that he gives that I believe are true. James, the brother of Jesus, said, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That under the umbrella of God that we can be free from Satan. He continued in verse 7 and 8. In verse 8, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Like there's, there's hope. But don't get caught up in what Satan is doing in your life. don't Don't get distracted by that. Remember that he's working against you. That we need to be cleaned from that. Cleansed from that. Paul wrote to the church to Timothy, who was the leader in the church there in Ephesus. Tell the people that they would come to their senses, escape from the trap of the devil, who's taken them captive to do his will. See, that's a, that's the. That's what Satan wants to do. It's to keep us captive. To do his will instead of God's will. Because God has a purpose for our lives. And Satan is working to thwart that at every turn. That's the the consistency of Scripture is, is pointing us in that direction. That yes, God has a will and a purpose for your life, but Satan wants to thwart that at every turn. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Don't give him the slightest crack where he can hold on and and begin to work in your life. Don't give him anything. But instead, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against his schemes. For our struggle, he said, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Didn't think it was a dark world, did we? We thought God was here against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That there is something going on here in this world that we may not completely see. That many people don't see at all, I believe. That there is a spiritual reality here in our world that that that, that we may not appreciate often enough. Because that's stuff we don't really understand. told the church, John, the apostle, told the church early on in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38, he reminded them how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around what Jesus did, went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That God wants to set us free. That was the ministry of Jesus. And that should be the ministry of the church today. John Eldridge in his book, Waking the Dead, he, he talks about how the, the story of the Bible having two sides, if you want to think of that, right? Think of the story of the Bible as, as telling two, two perspectives, right? One side is a wonderful God who understands the glorious power that's that's alive in his people. That there's a potential in the human heart. That, that when it's in sync with God, when it's in sync with with the will and the purpose of God, that, that our families can be healed, that our businesses can be transformed, that communities can be radically re- reformed, resurrected, if we only understood the potential that was there when our hearts beat in rhythm with God's. He said on the other side, there's a wily attacker, a fallen angel, right? A fallen angel, Satan, who hates the heart of God because God is on the throne and he's not. That's Satan's problem. He he hates Jesus. He loathes us because we are God's beloved. He despises the possibility that we might overtake his glory in God's eyes. And so he works against us. This has been, the the story of our lives is a struggle against not the things of this world, but actually against the powers of evil in this world. You see, our enemy has a plan. Your enemy has a plan. Yours has a plan. And we can see in Scripture how he works his plan out again and again and again all throughout the story of the Bible. In the lives of people, that God is called to do great things. Satan is still there, every turn. How does your enemy do it? His plan of attack, right? His plan of attack is is not your head. He must have wore that the, the art. Of, he must have read that book, the art of war. that says don't attack the strength, right? Go for the weakest parts, right? Attack the weakest parts. And so, what's the weakest part? It's actually our thinking, and that's where he attacks. He wants to conquer our heart Satan does and so he where does he go he he challenges our thinking in hopes that it will shape the way we feel and create doubt in our lives that's his approach we see that in today's text first his his attack on the disciples is is foiled right and then in a second in the second story kind of the, the way they overlap as we saw in the screen on the screen is that we see what happens when Satan is defeated and in a man's life. In these two things, I think we can see the techniques of our enemy, which are lies. Lies are his technique. Lies are his skill. Scripture refers to him, the Gospel of John refers to him as, as Satan, as the father of lies. Right? That, that's, that is the problem that he, he infests in our lives. Lies. And the most damaging lies... The most damaging lies in your life are not the ones that others tell you, that Satan might tell you, that, that you might read in the newspaper. Those are not the most damaging lies, even though, you know, we, we hear on the news about all this fake news and everything else. Those aren't the most damaging lies because, let's, let's admit it, we're pretty skeptical of anything we hear these days, except the things we tell ourselves. Those we're not skeptical of at all. We tell ourselves the same old lies over and over and over again and we accept it. It must be true. It's got to be, it's obviously true. Right? I mean, am I the only one who does this? I don't think so. I think we all tell ourselves lies and we believe them. I was just talking to a friend the other day and he was telling me about some, some things that he was uh, experiencing in life, right? And, and he, he told me that uh, I, I just, I'm in this situation and I just, I just don't think I can get out of this. And I was like, wow, that's bad. You're that stuck, right? And he started telling me about it and telling me about it, and he kept saying that phrase, I don't, I, I can't get out of this. And he would say it. I mean, he must have said it seven or eight times in the brief conversation that we had. Finally, I had to ask him, who says you can't get out of it? Like, who said, who told you that? Like, where did you, where did that come from? I believe that's a lie that Satan, it didn't, fested in his mind that that he had no other options, that he had no choice, when in reality he had all kinds of options. He'd accepted the lie and he was stuck in it. And I think how often we choose to remain in the storm because we believe the lies that Satan convinces us to accept. We saw that in Luke in the beginning, those first four verses of the text that was displayed for us. This, they were all in the boat. Jesus is asleep. A storm blows up, right? And we don't know exactly what they were thinking, because, but we know that there was fear because the Scripture says that water was, the boat was taken on water, right? And we, they were fishermen, so I have to think that they probably weren't that afraid of a storm because they were going across a lake. I mean, the, the, the video made it look like terrifying, right? But I don't know what they were afraid of. But they were certainly afraid. They were afraid of something. Maybe they didn't want something to happen to Jesus, that he needed to be ready in case something happened. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Maybe Jesus, they needed Jesus' help with rowing or tending the sails or bailing water or something. I don't, I don't know. But they feared that they didn't have what it took to handle the storm. I think that's the takeaway in that story, is that Jesus was asleep. Jesus was asleep in the boat. He trusted them to handle it. He had confidence in their ability to handle the storm. He woke up. Where's your faith? Well, where was their faith? Where was their faith? Was their faith in in their ability to handle a boat? No. Was their faith in Jesus' ability to protect them? No. Because they had to wake him up and tell him eh, what's going on. Their faith was in the storm. Their faith was in the storm. Right where Satan told had their focus, but in that, they were reminded that, and and the powerful reminder for us is that, is that, when we we recognize these fears in our life, these lies in our life, these things that okay, this doesn't make sense. I'm afraid of the storm. When Jesus is right here, like we go to him. We go to him. Whenever you hit. Any of this, you experience that, that he is the one we go to with our fears. He's the one that we go to with the lies. And ask him to tell us the truth. To tell us the truth. And in him we see the truth. That he had full confidence in their ability to sail through the storm. He was asleep. They get there, get out of the boat, and we see an even more powerful illustration of of Jesus and his power. Jesus and the disciples are met by a man who's possessed by demons. A couple of questions up front. Is this real, Pastor? Does this really happen to people? Yes, I believe it does. That demons do possess people. The demons oppress people. Can Christians be possessed? That I don't believe. But you can certainly be tempted by you certainly can be entertained by, you certainly can entertain demons. Absolutely. Is everyone with a mental condition just demon-possessed? No, I don't believe that. Are some? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Just like people with psychological issues would be possessed by demons, so can people with medical issues, so can people with financial issues, so can people who are going through relational problems find difficulty, find challenges from Satan and his demons. The foothold that Paul talked about, right? Anything that's going on in your life, any problem in your life where Satan says, I got the quick fix. I know what the real problem is. That's not Christ." That's exactly where the problem comes in. That's, that's where the lies begin in the problems that we face that we don't take to Jesus. That's where it starts. And that's where it grows. That foothold that Paul talks about. So yeah, I believe Satan can works in the lives of people with mental health issues. I believe Satan works in the lives of people who think they live a pretty good life. I believe Satan works in everybody's life because that's what he's trying to do is distract us from the glory of God so that we would not become what God created us to become. But but our ultimate problem, while we have an enemy who is Satan, he is not our ultimate problem. He is not my ultimate problem. My ultimate problem is sin. You know, we, we you might have said the devil made me do it. Ever said that? <clears throat> Some of us have, many of us have, right? I, I just want to challenge that. The devil didn't make you do it. You probably chose to do it. I mean, he may have tempted you. He may have made it look all great, but you decided to. You decided to. I mean, I decided to because, frankly, sin usually feels pretty good. <laughs> right? It, in the moment, it it feels like the right thing. That's the whole point. That's why it's temptation. But that's another sermon for another day. Today, we see this man who comes out to meet Jesus. He knows Jesus right away. How does he know Jesus? I've got no idea. But he does. He knows Jesus. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, and he begs him. He begs him, don't kill us. (laughs) Right? And right away, Jesus is like, okay, there's a problem here. Right? This isn't the normal reaction for people. Jesus heals the man. Send the demons into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff, which does not please the the herders. Right? The shepherds. the, the, The people who are handling the animals. They come, the townspeople come out to town and say, hey, we don't need any of that kind of help around here. Can you please leave? And so the, Jesus and the disciples go to leave and leaves the man there, the man who was healed, leaves the man who had the demons in his life. Stay here and tell everybody what happened to you. That's kind of the, the short cliff note version of what we just saw. But in that, in the healing, I think we see, or in, the, in this little account, we see four lies that this man was living out or were revealed in his healing, that Satan tell all of us. That Satan tells us that at different times in our life, we're apt to believe. Four lies that I believe that that if we accept them, they shape the way we live. They completely shape the way we live. The first one that we saw was that he was on his own. He was living in the caves. Verse 27 said, for a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. He lived out in the tombs. He was all by himself, right? He was living by himself. Why? Because I'm all by myself. I'm all by myself. I've heard these things said to me, and you may have heard them, or you may have said them. Things like, I'm sure no one ever told you this before, but, or it's so bad, you're going to think I'm terrible for saying this. Or, everybody would hate me if they knew what I was thinking. Or, there's nobody who loves me. The real me. All these things that we say, like they scream out, I'm alone. I'm lonely. I've got nobody. I'm all by myself here. Right? And the reality is that Jesus says, Emmanuel, I came to be with you. I'm here with you. These lies of I'm alone can take us in two different directions, right? I mean, the first direction they can take us is, well, since I'm all alone, I can do what I want because I'm all by myself. So there's some privacy there, right, that makes us think that oh, I can get away with whatever I want to do right now. The other way it shapes us is that there's nobody who can help me. There's no, I, I've got no help because I'm all by myself. When when Jesus went away, right, he said, "I'll send the Helper to be with you." Back when my son was playing uh, basketball, I would always remember that uh, teams in the rec league that would often have, the good teams would always use what they call a full court press. Right, if you don't know what that is, in other words, the, the defensive team they play defense on the whole court. Was the struggle with younger teams is that they, they can't handle the ball and they panic and all that kind of stuff they don't they 're not coached well because they're little kids right so if you could get them to play defense on the whole court you get turnovers all over the place right that was kind of the mentality and so the teams would often do that so you, you would inbound the ball right at the far end of the court and you have to dribble the ball down the court to get down and score well if the team would have defenders so they'd defend you the whole way so the problem is always in that when when you run up against that, is the temptation is when, you, when you're dribbling the basketball and you see two people come to play defense against you, the, the, the reaction, if you're not really well coached, is to hold the ball. But suck it into your stomach and try to keep it away from everybody. When in reality, it's the worst thing you can do. Because it, it's a turnover right away. The ball's going to go out of bounds, another team's going to get it. And it, Every time, that's what kids do. They do it time and time and time again, and you can tell them to you're blue in the face. The only way through it is to dribble through it. To dribble through the double team, right? That's what we tell them over and over again. But, but to get that in their heads is, oh, it's, it's tough. Why? Because I'm all alone and I've got the ball. Nobody here to protect me. Nobody here to help me. When the reality is if you just pass it or dribble, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to work if you just do that. We're all alone, though. Nobody can help. That's what Satan depends on. The second lie, I can't trust anybody even God. I can't trust anybody. Who can I depend on? This was the lie that this man heard. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, don't torture me. I can't even trust God. God knows who I really am. I can't go to him. I mean, he knows me. That's what we tell ourselves. If Satan can keep us from ever reaching out for help, from ever, if we can't trust anybody, what, what, what hope is there, really? I mean, it's true. If you can't trust anybody, if you can't trust God, what hope do you have? But I ask you, is that true? Is can't the right word? Is it that you can't trust anybody or that you won't trust anybody? Or, it's hard to trust anybody. Or, I don't know how to trust anybody. Maybe one of those are better, instead of can't. Can't says more about me and you and our choices than it does about the reality. It says more about how we see Satan's lie. What I can and can't. Verse 29 tells us gives us the third one. So there's a picture. We saw in the man there with ch- broken chains on his wrists and his feet, right? That's the lie that, that boundaries, limits keep me from being happy. That the reality is that limits keep me from being happy in life. He was bound for protection, to protect himself, to protect the community, right? I mean, that was the whole point. He was under guard so that he didn't get out and hurt others, hurt himself, Every time he got out, what did he do? He went back to that first lie. He went out to be alone by himself where nobody cared. Today, I, my, my hat goes off to parents of young kids who's, everybody's got a cell phone and you've got to say, no, this is a limit that, that we as a family think you need. <laughs> what? Nobody else does. Everybody else does it. All, all the stuff that, But the reality is of what can happen when you have the whole world in your pocket. A lot but bad. A lot of bad things can happen. Satan, who hates your kids and your grandkids as much as he hates you. And he'll do anything to destroy the relationship that they have with God, just like he'll do anything to destroy the relationship you have with God. The last lie that we believe is revealed in in when the demons come out. The demons come out and they run into the pigs. The pigs run down the hill to die. The demons are set free in that sense, that they're now into a body that has no rational thinking. The ultimate end of it all for the demon is death. That's where the lies lead to, is death. It's a natural end. And there's nothing holding these pigs back. And so they run right off into it. That's where the it doesn't matter lie that we tell ourselves. That's where it ends in death. It does matter. Everything does matter. Is it any wonder that suicide is the second leading cause of death among people 10 to 34 today? It's the, there were in, 19, in 2019, there were two and a half times as many suicides as there were murders. Think about that. Two and a half times as many people took their own life. And we hear about murder all the time, right? We don't hear about suicide all the time. But it's even more. Even more people take their own lives. Why? doesn't really matter. This life doesn't really matter. There's no hope. They believe the lies of Satan. They believe the lies. I mean, they're they're, they're broken. They're hurting. These lies of Satan. He wants us to believe because he knows that God has a plan. Satan wants us to believe these lies because he knows that God has a plan, that, that we are instrumental in God's plan. And he wants to keep, he wants to break that. He doesn't want us to experience what God wants for us. God has a plan and we're instruments in that. Anything he can do to derail it, he will. But I have some good news. I have some really good news. John chapter 10, verse 10. Probably one of my favorite passages of scripture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The devil's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and life abundantly. That's the truth. But how do we how do we get that truth that we can read and how do we get it into our heads? The truth when I was thinking about moms, right? And my brother and I, we were pretty close to the same age, but we did not get along ever at all about anything. And so we fought a lot and we were about the same physical size. He was a couple of years younger, older, but we were about to physically, we were about the same size. And so we fought a lot. And always when, when we would get to fighting and breaking stuff in the house, we would get put outside. And I guess, I don't know if she thought that would solve the problem. Or maybe it was just that she wouldn't have to listen to the problem. I'm not sure which it was, right? So she would put us out, and we would continue the fighting and carrying on and breaking stuff outside and throwing stuff at each other and whatever else. And so it never resolved the issue, right? It wasn't until much later that I realized to break that pattern of behavior, you can't just say stop that all the time. Like I can say stop believing the lies. And you you might be able to, okay, all right, stop believing the lies. But what we really need to do is we need to replace the lies. What mom needed to do, and which I'll tell her next time I talk to her, is that what she should have done is give us something to do. A lot of times she did, but we didn't do it. <laughs> we were told to wash the car when we were fighting, and we would, no, I'm not washing the car. So <laughs> we just continue to fight. Uh, but, but that's what we have. We have to replace, replace the thinking. We can't just stop. We have to replace it. And so today I want to give you some truths to remember, four of them. So you, don't, so you can replace the lies with what God says is true. First thing, you know, that the, the man believed he was all alone. He wanted to be all alone. The lies, the deceiver wanted him to be all alone. And the truth is, is that God is always with us. God is always with us. He'd never leave you, no forsake you. He's always there. Even when Jesus went away to be with the Father, what did he do? He sent the Spirit, God's heart, to be with us. Never leave you, never forsake you. You're never alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. Second, God God's promises are fixed. God's promises are fixed. Satan tells us we can't trust anybody. That you can't rely on anything. People will let you down. Even church folk are going to be hypocrites, right? That's what Satan wants to remind us always. But God says you can always trust me. You can always rely on me. He says I knew you from before you were born. I've had a purpose for your life from the very beginning of creation. You are so much more than you know. You are so much more than you know. People will fail you. People will let you down. But I will not. My promises are forever. Satan says, those limits, those boundaries that people want to put in your life, they're, they're to keep you from having fun, to keep you from experiencing all that life has. And what God says is, no, I protect those I love. I protect those I love. Those boundaries, those limits that God puts in place for our lives, those are actually so that we can live free. Because the freedom that the world promises is actually bondage. It's actually bondage. It actually leads to death. God says, I want you to be free. I want you to thrive. I want you to live. I want you to experience life in all its fullness, abundantly. The fourth one, grace wins. Where the world tells us nothing matters, it's all going to die. Everything is pointless. Don't, why care? No, grace wins. Grace wins. The, The empty tomb shows us that God has authority over life and death. That his work is always about redeeming, redeeming sinners, renewing relationships, restoring hope, resurrecting life. That's what God is about. That's what he wants for you and for me. That grace wins because God has a great plan and it includes you. includes me. And it needs your heart. The most important thing. So how do we get there? How do we replace these lies, the lies that we tell ourselves, with the truth? It's worship. And I don't mean just coming to church and singing, although that's part of it. It's being together in fellowship and and worshiping God, but to worship God. That's how we replace the lies. Let me me ask you, and you don't have to raise your hand or you don't have to, but uh, of, of your engaged time during the week, how much of it is spent in worship? Is it more than just this hour? Is it, okay, I I read stuff about 15 minutes a day, or how much of your time is spent in worship? That's how we replace the thoughts. We spend time, and I don't mean singing, although listening to some spiritual music would be a good thing, but reading God's Word. Not just somebody else's thoughts about God's Word, but actually the words of Scripture. Reading that, getting that into your body, in your mind. Feeding your mind on spiritual things. Not just Netflix. Not just Disney Plus. But actually the things of God. So that when Satan prompts you with a lie, you'll recognize it for what it is. And you won't be tempted to repeat that lie again and again and again. And again. Worship is the key. This week in our reading... Our online reading plan, that's what we're going to focus on, is worship. All the different ways that we can approach God in worship this week. I invite you to, to join us or to just commit some time this week to, to do that. Find yourself in worship at random times and allow God to speak to you in that. I'll say this in closing, that, that I'm sure that I may have picked up some lies that we tell ourselves that, that many of us struggle with. I would encourage you, if, if you or you know someone who, who needs to talk to somebody, that, to contact me. I'm available for pastoral counseling. If there's anybody else, there are other counselors in our community that, that Michelle can connect you with or whatever, that, that people that can help if you struggle with some of this stuff. Because I know it's real. We don't need to pretend like it's not. All right? I'd like to pray for you. God, I love you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that sets us free. Lord God, I ask that you would speak to us today. That as we move closer to you, God, we may recognize your voice and we also may be able to discern your voice from the lies of our enemy. Help us, Lord. We need you. We love you. We pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. I will, uh, one last plug while Artie's coming up for our closing hymn. Uh, On Monday nights, there's a group of men that gather at the charge office.